JD, welcome back to the podcast. Scott, great to be back with you, bud. I'm excited about this. We've got a lot of great readings this week. Always a pleasure, my friend. And yeah, likewise. I think it's interesting. I always think when I look at these texts, I mean, I think the real gifted lectionary preachers, and there's there are a few of them I, I see that like actually kind of can find the gospel through all the texts. Yeah. Oftentimes, that's just really difficult to do, and you kind of hone in on one or the other. I wonder how many people hone in, though. And, and sometimes there's just this great narrative or something, or this great line from a Pauline epistle where, where yeah. you, I mean, I remember, uh, who was it? Um, Clarence McCartney, the great PCUSA pastor preached this famous sermon based on Paul's words, Timothy come before winter in October. And he said, <laughs> winter's coming, get yourself alive. After it was such well, a powerful sermon. Yeah. It, well, he started off talking about Napoleon and Paul, how different they were, but their sentiments in the prison in their <laughs> lives at the end. And, and after that, sermon his session immediately called him into the church and mandated he preached that sermon in the last weekend of october every year he was there so he, so he kept preaching this great event i've never but, you know, heard that that's uh, it's a great story by mccartney well, lifelong see, bachelor I, well i think though it's interesting you say that because i when i look at the text the lectionary and i do like using lectionary what i'm thinking of two things one thing i'm thinking is what is the hardest word in any of these readings even if it's something from a psalm you know like a, although most of the like imprecatory psalms have been cut out but you know what is going to be the thing that needs some explanation that's one and then actually the other hopeful thing is that you're able to draw a thread um you know from through the readings to point to how there's a there's a comprehensiveness to the bible that actually gives people greater comfort and security in trusting it you know because what i found is that um you know, that when preachers don't at least allude to how the Old and New Testament, for instance, interact with each other, or, um, you know, particularly if there's a, a difficult story um, from one of the Old Testament um, narratives that's sort of, uh, you know, kind of odd or seemingly out of place that somehow is not addressed or at least explicated, then what you get is you perpetuate this 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 common misunderstanding that the Bible is somehow mysterious and um, uh, sort of you know unable to be um, comprehensively understood and and basically it's 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 totally um, misused in that respect. Because I think that's why at least at least the hope for is that you could have some some hermeneutic that allows you to actually see the gospel from as Jesus says, beginning with Moses, you know, from the beginning to um, to from Genesis to Revelation. And what does Tim Keller say? You read the Bible two ways with regards to Jesus. It's either all about him or all about you. Yeah, that's right. But that that being said. A lot of people, we have a lot of functional Marcionites, right? You know, the Old Testament, kind of, the ancient kind of heretic that said, hey, the Old Testament, not really good. And maybe yeah. there's a little bit of Luke, John, a little bit of Paul that's good. So there's a lot of people that functionally stray from the Old Testament. Sure. This is a week where many will not stray. That's right. Because that's we got First Samuel 17. That's it. That's we it. got David and Goliath. That's it. Although this will, in fact, allow you to either read the Bible about you or about Jesus. Exactly. This is what's going to happen. Um yeah, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest, most probably still one of the most recognizable uh, stories, you know, in the old, in the whole Bible, um, because it's it's been appropriated culturally for so you know everything from um, sports to political campaigns and this idea of the underdog, you know, the young, the young upstart and the sort of established old. Um, you know, authority. And it's a great drama. Um, And I understand why people uh, love it so much. But I think the difficulty with this passage with respect to preachers is going to not, is going to be able to lead people through um, both the the glory of the passage, which is important, but 
stray or, or try not to make David become sort of a morality tale for um, you and the Goliaths in your life. You know, I mean, I've heard that, you know, with a five smooth stones, you know, we're going to have a five point sermon on prayer, fasting, um, you know, meditation. <laughs> you know, these are your five stones in your bag to overcome the Goliath in your life. And it's, um, that's the type inanity, frank, frankly, that, um, that begins to further uh, remove, uh, sort of eradicate the faith from the already skeptics in your congregation and creates a generation of, of um, well, the generation that's not at the church right now. I mean, that's the type. Yeah, of- and do, you, do you feel like that kind of stuff too? It's like for a minute, it's like a narcotic effect. For a minute, you're, you're stressed about your family or some guilt or shame in your life or it's these perennial sort of compulsive things and you need deliverance. But then you go and say, well, no, if I could get these smooth stones right. in my sling, right. then so I'm so I forget about the real issues that I just need to like kneel and it, it, you know, like the, the publican and say, "Hey, God, have mercy." Yeah. Well, if I can, ma- so then when you can't master the sling and the five smooth stones, or whatever, then you've got the things that were plaguing you before and this new religious <laughs> failure that plagues you. <laughs> and then the preacher, I mean, it's a self-perpetuating. I mean, I can, it's a good business. You know, I, I liken this type of preaching to the type, um, you know, like, uh, like a health club or like a, a you know, a, a trainer at a gym, like you're not going to get younger. Like my job is going to stay the same. Like I can promise you all these things, but I'm also have job security because you're going to keep aging. And this is what often preachers do when they, um, they don't see the gospel, um, and it's finished work in Christ in each and every story. Then the story becomes about what you can now do. Here's the new, the new five stones, you know, the new, who, where are the new Goliaths in your life and how can you be more like David, you know? And then, um, and I think this is the type of preaching that, it, like you said, I think the narcotic effect is a good, a good analogy because it gives you, you walk out of there like elated and inflated with all of this sort of um, zeal for getting your life together again, um, with the emphasis being on what you can do to get your life together again, as opposed to the gratitude for what God has done despite you um, for for His glory, you know. And then, and then, of course, what you do is you start preaching about. Uh, you start singing and talking about yourself um, as opposed to um, boasting in Christ. Yeah, it's interesting too, right here. Like, so a couple things are interesting. First of all, right, like I'm guessing, right, like a multiple choice quiz, right? You know, I always think it's interesting when you're teaching undergraduates or doing like just basic inductive Bible study. Who do you identify with this within the story, right? And I think. Some people are going to say, hey, you know, it, 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 most people are going to say you should identify with David, right? Except, you know, and kind of be be the guy, you know, yeah. it, it, be the person, be the man or woman of God, you know, that, you know, but but really, you, we ought to identify, I guess, right, with the Israelites who need deliverance, yeah. right? I mean, like, 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 we're like, this is, you know, they're the Goliath, right, is, is, is all the things like sin death the law i mean these things yeah the the accuser that that weigh that weigh things down right and so you don't beat the goliath right, right, it, right. It, it's it, the goliath has to be slayed that's right well i think that's good and i think there are a couple of things i mean you know honestly you know, as i was thinking about it like i think um in this particular sort of the this these narrative books like the real the real work of the preacher is is not even necessarily to find to mine it for who who are we or what are, what sort of lessons can we learn from it as 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 much as it's simply to let it stand. I mean, this is an amazing 
an amazing, yeah. miraculous thing. We have this this man who will turn out to be, you know, a complicated human in need of salvation, but nevertheless was um, this is the beginning of what would turn out to be an incredible warrior, an incredible king. not going to mythologize the thing, which we, which we were not going to, um, then he certainly had some fear, you know, I mean, but courage, as you were, is not the lack of fear. It's just the, the, the realization of what's actually to be feared. And I think that's where, um, for me, when I think and reflect more on both what he did then and then his subsequent rest of his life, uh, ultimately, which ends in somewhat tragedy, um, as we know, um, nevertheless, he's rightly um, um, sort of valorized as being, you know, the lineage of, I mean, Jesus is in his lineage, and he was this conflicted man who nevertheless um, saw his Redeemer, or at least lived in the ultimate faith that someday the Redeemer would come. Yeah, and at his low points in life, he looks a lot more like Saw. Yeah. But at this point, he doesn't, and that Saw wants to put his armor on him, right? Yeah. And Saw is ahead, and he's Saul was their giant. He was yeah. a head and shoulder of yeah. everybody. It's, and he, was, he had a charismatic, religious kind of presence. Is he even among the prophets? And yeah, it's interesting. Is it Judges 2016 that says the Benjamites were good with the sling? Hmm. So it's like, but David's like a better Benjamite king than Saul <laughs> even is, right? Because Saul's like, hey, Benjamite was good back then. But look, Goliath, I mean... We got to fight with the world's weapons here, yeah, right? It. I mean, you know, you know, we got you got to put asses in the seats. You need big screens, smoke machines, a youth pastor that can shoot <laughs> sparks out of their posterior. I mean, these yeah, kinds of yeah. things, right? Like where where David goes, uh, like Christ, right? You know, like he goes like just with the Lord doing battle for him, and and and, and and you know, Goliath looks pretty fierce, and 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 he and it's funny because what. Saul and Goliath seem so similar. Yeah. They're both pretty tall guys, but Saul just can't can't out Goliath Goliath. Mm. You know, and there's always it's, it's this I thing, like right? It's, like it's 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 always another thing, right? Well, we teach our kids, it's you're gonna be great if you just don't have sex, don't do this, get in right, the right, right school. Well, I got in the right school, but I still feel like there's another Goliath. <laughs> right, well, right. you gotta get the right girlfriend or boyfriend, then you gotta get the right job, then you gotta get the right promotion. Then you gotta have the right kind of kids that don't have ADHD or don't have That's fertility right. issues, or you gotta have good relationships with the grandparents so they babysit your kids and don't screw them up. And and it, it always there's always a bigger Goliath, yeah, right? Yeah. And the answer is not like sort of out Goliath and Goliath, but it's it right, it's it's the true son of David. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, mean, I love that. That's, that's I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but I think when you, when you point out, when you look at it that way, I think that the, the call for the Philistines, it, so if we are going to, if we are going to identify with people, I think you're right. The Israelites, the uh, people who were caught between the uh, spectacle that was Goliath and the Philistines and this sort of appeal to the, you know, the religion of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is the perpetual and perennial fight that we thankfully have had the one greater than David, you know, who's been our victor in the midst of that. But I think that that's, um, that'll preach. <laughs> yeah. And I, and unlike, unlike the first David, Jesus won, not just with elusive weapons, but he actually went, when, when Saul said, I'm going to have your body ripped apart, sacrifice right. to the gods. I'm going to like, actually, Jesus undoes the real Goliath. 
by losing even bigger than David. I mean, he yeah. wins bigger than David, but it, because he's he loses, and you know. And then the gift he gives us is himself for our sake in the midst of our battles to hold on to the promise that's already been secured in him. Speaking of people that feel like losers, let's yeah. go on to Second Corinthians six. This is not Paul's high point, right? I mean, like, I mean, maybe it's his high point, one of his high points theologically. But he's struggling. He's trying to argue again against the Goliaths of the world, right? Like, you know, this fledgling church in the in the midst of yeah. the you know the ancient Mediterranean, looking at thinking about themselves in the religious landscape, and they've got super apostles come in saying, "Look." If Paul's so good, why is he doing time? Why is yeah. he struggling? We'll tell you how to get through this. And, and and here in the middle of this letter, he is he says in this great line, see, now is the day of salvation. That's it. That's it. No, I mean, it's amazing. So this section in this, this particular letter, I think it's important because he's coming after this great, this powerful and great... Um, exposition of what the, the reconciliation of God in Christ to the world. You know, this is the whole thing is that the, the, the church in Corinth, it gives me great um, sort, of, uh, sort of counterintuitive comfort because it's full of sinners. Like churches, yeah. Are. And when people and say, "Hey, let's become a New Testament church," yeah, I know. That's say, right. "Wait, you could become the Corinthians." Right. No, right. no, 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 no. That's right. Well, or you know, I mean, you know, I mean, or the church in Galatia, you know, I mean, full of legalists, or your church in Corinth, full of licentiousness and sort of um, libertines. And so, what I love about this particular um, section is that right before then, he talks about Christ and he talks about um, this gift of God. And he says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this very message of katalasso, the reconciliation. And I think that becomes, for me, the, the sort of baseline way of understanding Paul's sort of ethic of love, if you will, which he explicates here in this this chapter six, because it talks about all of the different ways that we can go through life, um, you know, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, but all these things that they had gone through was on account of the fact that they had received this amazing reconciliation of God in Christ for, for their sakes. And I think that's where, you know, when you, you, again, if we go back to the sort of thing we talk about often about the descriptive and prescriptive sort of readings on these things. And if you look at Paul's ministry as uh, prescriptive, well, then if you're not in the middle of being afflicted uh, or, um, you know, getting beaten, put in prison, causing riots, you know, then you would wonder um, what sort of minister you are. But if you see that this is where Paul was called to for the sake of the Corinthians, because of, as he says, this great reconciliation, which we now share both with you and with the world, well, then it begins to be um, something you can preach about, you know, even to people who are actively hurting you the way the Corinthians were to Paul, you know, sort of gossiping and slandering him and things like this. And I think um, it, it's, yeah, it's an amazing um, section because you get to see this this heart of this man for these people who had been, um, you know, had he said, brought him to tears almost, you know, that he was writing these through 
uh, the, the great pain, and yet he doesn't berate them with anything other than remember what God has done for you in Christ, and that becomes the 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 message that 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 redeems. The yeah, and it's it's interesting. I mean, not that you or I or anybody. That's, I mean, some people in ministry have hard time with congregations and stuff but yeah maybe <laughs> yeah. even listening but it's interesting because you think I've about how that is the case yeah i've heard yeah i've heard this happen some, but you know what paul says we are treated as imposters and yet are true as unknown and yet are well known as dying and we see we are alive as punished and yet not killed as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing everything we have spoken to you frankly corinthians our heart is wide open to you where does that power come from it's because here's the, the last apostle, right? The last one to the risen Jesus. Yeah. And God's word to Paul is, you treated me. Christ said, Amen. you treated me as an imposter. <laughs> and yet I was true. You treated me as unknown. And yet I was well known in my resurrection as dying. And see, Paul, I'm alive. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet rejoicing. And rejoicing that I could welcome you, the church's persecutor, in. As, and I'm making many rich in my death, you Amen. know, like, and and so, I mean, I think that's the, in conflict, the answer is not the law. It's, 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 it's getting yourself close to the gospel. That's it. Well, and that's why, and again, and that's why I go back to the, you know, this is where the context helps us because in, in the section right before this, he talks about how the love of Christ controls us. This is not an abstract love of Christ, you know, as people like to talk about, like, you know, just my, you know, my theology is just love Jesus. Well, Paul's theology is how Jesus loved, which is this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died. And so that becomes the paradigm whereby all of these things that he can endure are, as you said so uh, rightly, um, things that he first of all sees as having been a perpetrator. He doesn't see himself fundamentally or primarily as the victim, but as the gracious recipient of um, unwarranted mercy through the, the work and love of God in Christ. And that becomes... You know, when that is meditated on, and you've probably seen this, like, I don't know anyone who hasn't come to an awareness of their own need with respect to forgiveness and mercy, who isn't then by extension somewhat more merciful and, and gracious than they, they otherwise would be. Um, and this is what Jesus, this is what Jesus told Peter, you know, the woman who was washing his feet. He says, Peter, you know, she has been forgiven much, loved much. You know, this becomes the, the, the way to deal with church conflict, you know, the way to deal with um, uh, preaching through people that are, um, uh, I mean, preaching through um, uh, to people who are, as they were for Paul, you know, vexing him and, and persecuting him. He nevertheless didn't demonize them because there was a thread of of compassion that can only come when you see part of the darkness that you are being exposed to in someone else's heart is also present in your own. And I think that's Yeah, where, I think I think yeah. of the great part collection of essays, The Humanity of God, and, and you know, the gospel always humanizes. It doesn't demonize. Exactly right. When all you've got is hurt, one love, one blood, one life, you've got to do what you should. One life with each other, sister, brothers. Speaking of the humanity of God, let's go to the gospel. Right? There we go. Well, uh, Mark four. This is, I mean, this is thirty-five through forty-one. You know, this is, the, you know, we have the storm. 
you know, the uh, Jesus is asleep and the disciples are terrified because there's a storm. You know, I'm fascinated by this. I've been doing, I don't know, what was the book that I was recent to? um, The Bible Among the Myths. Maybe that was it. Did he read somewhere? I forget the title. I don't know. Well, basically, it's just sort of calling on helping flesh out some of the sort of ancient. ancient imagery um, that people would have been sort of, uh, you know, would have been in the wealth appropriately in the water, you know, like the, the big, the John Williams score for, for Jaws might be for you and me, you know, like, so did you hear that, you know, that Jesus comes and becomes, you know, the, the sort of, he, as C.S. Lewis said, you know, he's the true, the, the, the puts truth behind all of these other, um, sort of uh, fables and sort of the the myths. Yeah, there, there's one him. Christian approach that says, "Well, all of this stuff has to be totally untrue, yeah. or else the God, or, the, or else the gospel's not true." The I think the more responsible and, and truthful answer is something like, "No, I mean anything that has prominence probably has something of this story in it. Like if yeah. it gets, yeah. you think about Buddhism or Hinduism or something, there's sure. things, all these things that you can find deep echoes, right?" Uh, of the why, gospel. Why would we be afraid of that? I mean, I think that's where, um, you know, uh, I think that, that, I mean, you can even see, I mean, we get a little far afield, but even in some of the, you know, um, like Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, you know, their interaction with, with the, the Jews and sort of the myths, as it were, or the, or the, the great stories of the world, um, you know, there are people written about the intersection of all that, you know, the thousand years preceding the birth of Christ, even, you know, so I mean, it's, I'm not in the least bit afraid of the some of these similar threads, because I think that, as you said, if there's a if there's a common humanity and truth actually exists. Well, then there's going to be some vestige of that truth in any um, in any sustainable um, sort of world, um, you know, because it's going to speak to what's truly human, you know. And so, so to this yeah, point, right, right. Christ plays in a thousand places. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's where. Um, yeah. It, 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 I mean, there's a lot to be said about that, but I think to this point in this story, I was just remarking on it because this this power that Jesus exhibits over the over nature. You know, I mean, this is a this is a fundamental reality of someone that must be God is that they are more powerful than the the created order, and in particular water. Uh, you know, even back to, to Genesis, you know, the the chaos that was water. You know, the depth. The, the sort of mystery of it and that Jesus in the middle of this storm on a boat like reveals himself to be greater than the, the turmoil and the, the chaos surrounding him and greater than nature. You know, I love it that they said um, that they, when he said, why are you still afraid? Even after having done this great um, miracle, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And I think that's, I think that's often um, not fully appreciated because we, I'd like to think that we, or many people think that if they were in that boat, they would have just been like, um, you know, Jesus is now like my best friend. Like he's this power, but he was this, this, um, powerful, uh, frightening, um, uh, sort of revelatory figure that, that even the winds and the seas obey him. They said they, um, you know, there was a power that was, that was manifested there that I think, um, rightly brought the, the disciples to, um, you know, to a place of fear and awe, um, which, you know, I, I think I've been in the same way. It's like the poor shepherds, you know, out watching their sheep by night and then lo, the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Like, I'm pretty sure I would have uh, run far, fast, 
but you know, thank God they had good news. Um, but yeah, you know, and I I have two thoughts. Like one is like I was thinking, I don't know why, but suddenly I was thinking of this when Jesus is asleep. I think of like what does Elijah say to the prophets of Baal? Is your God asleep or is he yeah, in the bathroom? Yeah. And and then here. God can be asleep and you're still fine. Like, like whether God seems like he's sleeping, yeah. he's not. Then I was doing some teaching in evangelical college and for several semesters and everything was six day creation. Everything. No matter what we do with Shakespeare, what about say? And one day I just opened this text and said, look, here's the thing, right? Justification by faith is so important if you're going to be an intellectual because you, then, you know, you're justified by Jesus and not your ideas yeah. because that, because otherwise ideas will do identity work. Okay. And, if you're not justified by Jesus, right, in, in the storm, you'll, it'll, not just in the storms, the, the sunny day squall, the sunny right. day on the boat will be screwed up because you'll be like, well, what if a storm comes? That's right. What if the liberals come or the conservatives come or the ecclesiasts come or the Baptists come or what if the atheists come or the Pentecostals come? You'll always think of these people that will ruin the party. Yep. But with Jesus, you say, you know, it doesn't matter what comes or what goes. If Jesus is in the boat, whether it seems like Easter morning yeah. Yeah, yeah. or the dark night of the soul, the boat is the place you want to be because Christ is there. That's right. And I think that's, Scott, to your point. I think this is where, if you're looking at what is the point, sort of the pastoral theological intersection from this, I think it's the question that the disciples have for Jesus is the one that the preacher has to answer. Because they said, teacher, um, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, and that's actually a legitimate question that people have um, for yeah. for God, and then Christians, particularly, you know, obviously uh, uh, for uh, for Jesus. And I think that's where Robert Jensen in the in the content in the Cambridge Companion to Luther, he was tasked with the essay on the contemporary appropriation. He makes like three points. One of them is this point. He says that the gulags, that's the 20th century. Yeah, for sure. There's no better place than Luther to go. That's right. For this problem right. about what right. you, don't you care that we're perishing? Well, I think that unlocks actually back to our beginning conversation about all the different the, 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 the different lectionary readings. That question, when taken seriously and then reflected upon and then seen how if that is a real question, then the answer needs to be found in the Bible. I mean, that's a cry of the human heart, um, you know, God in abstract. And then even particularly to Jesus for Christians, then what resources has God given us to um to both hear and confront that question and ultimately to have it answered. And that's where you get with Luther and particularly this his theology of the cross, you know, not the least of which, or this 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 appreciation of what he would call infectum, this idea that that it is precisely at this point of of sort of need and um uh torment um that Jesus even in this story reveals himself to be God over the storm. You know, this is what this is how the you know, I think if there's a if there's a refrain, a common refrain of of sort of conversion stories, um, not even from even from like nominal Christianity to sort of more um, convicted and and courageous Christianity, it's it precisely this point. At some point, I cried out to Jesus and said, "Do you not even care that I'm perishing?" And He showed me that He not only cared, but he cared so much to calm the storm or to, or to overcome the battle or overcome the whatever the case may be. And I think that's where all of the other readings begin to, I mean, the, the rest of the, the Bible begins to fall into place because it becomes, as you said in the beginning, a story not about us, but about what God has done for us in Christ in the midst of all of the wind and waves, you know, that have come against us. 
you know, the foundation of our lives when rooted, rooted on him, as he says to Peter, um, this rock uh, will not uh, fail, will, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And that's, um, that's, that's a church you want to go to. That's a sermon you want to hear, you know, um, and you want to hear it again. Do you, not, do you not care that we are perishing? Not a bad prayer to say to yourself before you welcome to the pulpit. Amen. JD, it's always a pleasure. I, I could talk to you all day. Or Likewise, we could talk buddy. all day. Likewise. I love it, Scott. Thanks thanks for the opportunity um, and blessings on this ministry and um, all the people that are going to be preaching this um, Sunday. Let's um, just thank God that we have something to say. Amen to that, brother. All right, bud.